Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today our guest is Craig Brewer, director of the joyous new sequel, Coming to, that's the number two, America, which is now out on Amazon Prime. Craig Brewer made his first film, The Very Inexpensive, The Poor and Hungry, in 2000, and caught the attention of the late, great John Singleton, who took him under his wing. With Singleton's backing, he made Hustle and Flow, the film that finally earned an Oscar for 3-6 Mafia. Brewer's other films include Black Snake Moan, a 2011 remake of Footloose, and 2019's Dolomite Is My Name, a film that's very important to this podcast because our very first guests were Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who wrote that wonderful movie. Craig Brewer talks with us today about how working with Eddie Murphy on Dolomite led him to coming to America, as well as the promise he made to John Singleton and the importance of music in his films and on his sets. Oh, and speaking of, here's some exclusive breaking news. Apparently, Eddie Murphy did not stop making music with Party All the Time, the 80s hit that I have stuck in my head pretty much all the time. Here's Craig Brewer. He spoke to us a few weeks ago from his home in Memphis. So, Craig Brewer, welcome to Movie Maker. You got to see Coming to America 2 last night. I'm sorry, Coming to America last night and <laughs> loved it. Loved oh, great. It. So oh, much fun. Um, I first saw Coming to America when I was 15 years old. I've seen it a million times since then. When did you first see it? Well, um, I, you know, I, I guess I was uh, in high school. I, I know that. It was... Uh, it, it, it's hard for me to believe that I, I was in high school more than 30 years ago, but I guess I'm in that age of my life where I now need to start reckoning that as I'm, I don't know if you're doing the same, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those great situations where, you know, me and my family uh, loved Eddie Murphy and uh, me and my dad were, uh, you know, fans of John Landis. So uh, uh, it, it, it was something where it was like, it was a nice little combination of, of my, um, kind of filmmaker, uh, young filmmaker love, where it's like, oh, I see the movies of Steven Spielberg and <laughs> Martin Scorsese movies when they come out, and and I knew that this was, you know, the the same pairing as um, as Trading Places, and so it was kind of a big deal for me and my dad to kind of go and see the movie with that in in mind, you know. And you were already doing productions like theater productions, so you knew that you wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. It, it was something I, I never knew how I could become a filmmaker, but my father um, and I loved movies. And, and I think anybody who grew up, at least in the time period of the, 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 eight, the 80s into the early 90s, you know, video store culture was a really important time. I, I sometimes worry that because, you know, films are so readily available now to so many people that I, I hope that that what happened for me at that gener- at, at that time in history could happen today, which is basically all the films that my father loved and my mom loved, they started to rent again for the first time. So there was almost a, this film festival that would happen at my, at my house. So it wasn't that hard for me to be watching like the making of Thriller movie that was playing on MTV, if you remember, like in a, in a continuous oh, yeah. loop. But there's this moment where like Michael Jackson and John Landis are going through his movies, you know, 
So that would spark like, okay, me and dad are going to watch like Kentucky Fried movie and make sure my little sister wasn't around for it or anything like that. And then, and then you, you, we would just hop around to all these, you know, I could see airplane, but then like my dad would also want to rent, uh, you know, um, uh, something like uh, Urban Cowboy or, or he would watch an Officer and a Gentleman or Coming Home. So it, it, movies, theater, it, it, was, it was kind of a way for someone like me who wasn't really involved in sports to kind of be obsessed with something and also have something I could probably communicate with my dad about, which was a, a similar love of his. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I think I have the same movie taste as your dad. We just watched Urban Cowboy a little while ago. And we're just blown away by how much has changed since 1980. Like John Travolta hits Deborah Winger in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's wild. Well, the, a, a lot of movies in the 80s, I think, were uh, much more gritty than we we give them credit for. You know, we we think back on the 80s, and some people go, "Oh, they were kind of a cheesy time." But when it comes to movies, they were they were much more hard hitting. You know, I mean, I even just recently showed Dirty Dancing to my you know, to my 12 year old daughter, I felt like, you know, you're, you're, you're about to become a young woman, you know, you need to see Dirty Dancing. And, and it's amazing how that movie can still uh, get uh, young women from every uh, age group and, and generation, they still respond to it the same way, because it's still, you know, I don't know if some of those movies that were made back then could get the green light today, or even maybe survive the scrutiny of a development process. Never, never. Yeah. I mean, could coming to America? Well, the great thing about coming to America is, uh, and I'm talking about the first coming to America, is that uh, it was um, it was hilarious, uh, but and 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 at times it could be crude. But there was a um, fairy tale feeling about the movie that that made you just root for Prince Akeem. Yeah. Uh, and we relished in the things that could be made fun of with America, you know, from like, oh, the leather bag with the, 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 with the football, you know, it's like him, him explaining us to ourselves by way of an international, you know, immigrant level yeah. was, I think, both refreshing to Americans, but also I think uh, the global community, because it was a huge international hit back in the day coming to America was. I think it was good to kind of like, yeah, Americans could use a little bit of a letting out of that gas bag a little bit. And, and, and they rallied behind Akeem. So I, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, yes, I, I'm sure it could probably get made today, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real narrow margin as to if you could do it right or not, you know, because uh, the, the humor with it, with, especially with like, you know, uh, uh, like soul glow and you know there, there, there's a there's a there's a cultural line in it that they that it seemed to just ride perfectly and 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 we really had to think about that a lot when we were making you know our sequel to it it's it's definitely a movie where when I was 15 I was I was frustrated because it was like soul glow is incredibly funny and also as a white kid I can't repeat any of these jokes I should not sing the song like it's yeah. Like, <laughs> well, but, but that's the great, I think that's what was great about when Eddie Murphy came onto the scene in the 80s. Like it was just, that, and, and, and the 80s also, there was a, I don't know, and maybe this is just, I'm sure every, maybe every generation felt this, but there was this 
celebration and a call to, I'll call it blackness, that was, um, I, it was everywhere. I mean, there was Michael, there was Prince, there was Eddie. The, uh, Eddie Murphy was a star. He was, yeah. a, he was like an international star, you know? And uh, I, 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 I couldn't help but just fall into it with absolute love and just wanted to consume everything. You know, yeah. if Eddie Murphy was going to make James Brown funny in a Saturday Night Live skit, I needed to listen to every James Brown album. It had this uh, hip hop was blowing up at the time. And so you, you, you couldn't help, uh, regardless of your culture, background or race, like dive into black culture uh, during that time. Yeah, I mean, you've got the black the black snake moan poster right behind you, and it's like, I remember in a, you know, I grew up in around the same time. I was like fifteen in nineteen eighty, so Public Enemy was the biggest group in the world. Oh Eddie yeah, was the biggest comedian. Like, every, it was really steeped in black culture, and so sometimes I see stuff now where it's like, as a white male, um, you know, this isn't for you. It's I kind of feel like distance from it in the sense of but I love this like my entire life like I'm not trying to you know latch onto it or co-opt anybody but it's something that I've always loved it isn't hey it's a it, we would have discussions on set about this very thing you know um and 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 it's a it, look let's let's be honest it's a weird place for I'm sure like any white American male to be where it's like, hmm, how should I feel about right, right, of course. <laughs> you know, it's still it's still so, it's still so uh, decidedly selfish feeling, you know what I mean? But uh, I think the 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 best thing that I've come to learn with with filming with with themes and with with uh, culture, specifically African American culture, is that I think you just got to be okay with just being in service to it and and empowering as many artists around you as you, as you can to let them do their thing um and that can go from eddie murphy and arsenio hall and and creating a set environment that lets them bring their artistry out or to basically when academy award-winning ruth carter comes out with like costume designs and says what do you think about this she's incredibly collaborative but you know what my job is is just say uh miss ruth uh i'm just going to be right over here and making sure they give you all the money that you need to, to do what you got to do you know uh you know uh, fatima who was our our choreographer and every, you know the same thing it's like uh what what do you need and let me go get it you know that to me is what uh is is you know, if you if you really want to uh, enjoy it all, um, learn from it and be a part of it, and and try to try to you know empower everybody around you uh, to to do their best. Yeah, you kind of. I didn't even know if I was going to ask you about this question because it feels like a little reductive in some ways. But I feel like you've gone from being a director who was making quote unquote black movies, meaning movies with predominantly black cast, at a time when Hollywood thought that wasn't bankable or it was risky or something to now being a white director who often directs black, again, quote unquote, black movies, um, at a time when it's Hollywood has caught on and is really strongly in favor and even probably says, maybe we shouldn't have a white director for this. Absolutely. And, and I think about that a great deal. I brought it up even to Eddie um, on this picture, which, you know, he has his opinion of just like, I, he, he, he felt that we had a really great uh, working relationship on Dolomite is my name, and and uh, he said, I trust you. I want you to be a part of 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 coming to America, and and also I think he he had to vet me um, on my love of the original. 
you know, and making sure that I was going to be protective of what I think people of today who are fans of it, but also new audience members, uh, what, what they need to see in a, in a follow-up to, to coming to America. Yeah. But um, I, I, I understand, you know, it, it's interesting because like we filmed uh, at Tyler Perry's studio in Atlanta and we were in the Harry Belafonte stage for, for a majority of, of, of the shoot. But on the last day, we filmed in the John Singleton soundstage. And I don't know if you, you know, if you know my history, but- you started your career with, um, with basically completely funding Hustle and Flop. Completely. So John- you started your career, you had previous film, but he saw that previous film. Yeah, yeah. John John saw my film that I made here in Memphis uh, called The Poor and the Hungry, and uh, he really got behind me and, and started my whole career. But but I, I remember very vividly, I know that <laughs> I know that there's probably uh, um, better phrasing and, and maybe maybe uh, today this would this would be a little bit more complicated. But John Singleton, I remember with a great producer, uh, Dwight Williams, and also uh, my producer, Stephanie Elaine on the project. They sat me down and they were very direct with what they wanted me to do going forward. They were like, we're giving you a big opportunity, Craig. Uh, we believe in you, uh, but you need to promise us that on the rest of your movies, you're gonna, <laughs> they said, you better hire some black people. I mean, they're, they're very, very direct, like back in 2004 about what my opportunity that they gave to me and what I need to do. So it's always been like, uh, you know, a part of, of my movies, but but on coming to America, it it was something that we all embraced, and and we had more, you know, uh, like probably one of the largest African American crew base uh, that that a lot of the crew had seen in Atlanta, and it was particularly special because we were making Coming to America, and they and and everyone that came to it felt this bond through their love of the movie, regardless of, of race. So. My like, like like I've said, my hope is just to uh, be as respectful as I can and and let people do what they do. Yeah, and you did get every <laughs> you got so many people and so many cameos and really really remembered everybody in the original Coming to America. I'm not going to spoil it, but I was so happy throughout. And there's a key point near the end where you're not sure who's going to come out. And I like told my wife and got all excited. And it, it's just it's, it's so exciting to like see everybody. You're calling people from the other room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I think I know who you're talking about. Uh, a, man, a man who needs no introduction. A performer for, for all. Um, yeah, we're, we're, this movie, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day about this where it's, it's different if like you saw a sequel of Coming to America like shortly after Coming to America where like Eddie and Arsenio was like only like a few years older than you saw them in Coming to America. But yeah. there's something really special about it's it's more than 30 years now. Yeah. And so we are looking at King at at at, at now King Akeem. And we are different. I got a dad gut. I you know, I got two kids. I'm I'm not that 16, 17 year old guy that was watching my hero, uh, yeah. Eddie Murphy, you know, slay in a movie. Uh, I'm different now. And, and the movie is about Akeem being different now, you know, and, and, and how much do you hold on to your traditions and how much do you give to your kids? 
and 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 how much of your problems are you laying on your children and 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 where are you intractable and where are you kind of like turning into your father and it's and so it's a very interesting place for both the movie and the audience to be now coming out of 2020 and and everybody kind of at that place in their life going like what's important to me like if if i've been overthinking things and you know if i've been intractable on things should i start like rethinking you know, the way to live and, and how to care for my family. So it's, it's a, it's good. It's, it's a funny timing that's worked out for, for revisiting these characters now. Well, it kind of in a way that Star Wars should have been, it felt like my old friends are back. Like I get to see these people who I haven't seen in, you know, three decades. Um, and they all still look really good. Yeah. And we're doing like the same songs in some cases. And then there's, there's some musical moments that I don't know if it's my demo, but they just like, completely knocked me out. Um, when did you start talking about how important music was gonna to be to this movie? I mean, did you know all along? Cause it's bigger than in the original. Immediately. The, the thing that I, I remember going into Paramount um, who was making the movie and I said, uh, you know, um, the, the, the movies that really inspired me when I was younger was like uh, Purple Rain, uh, Amadeus, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember this movie, The Commitments, you know. Oh, love that uh, movie. Yeah, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people who don't know about Commitments. And I, and I want to say to them, like, oh, I'm about to make your life better. Make sure you watch it, you know. I'm in a, I'm in a household full of, full of Irish people, so yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry. That's like, yeah, you oh, got yeah. it. Love The Commitments. Um, but, you know, Blues Brothers in particular, uh, truly just, I, it made me feel like I, I, was, I was welcomed home. You know, because Blues Brothers was like it had it had people like, um, uh, you know, Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn, who were part of, you know, Booker T and the MGs. There was a Memphis um, celebration of Memphis music in that movie. Uh, I got to see James Brown and Aretha Franklin like perform really for the first time in my life watching that movie. I'd heard them before, but I'd never seen them. You know, John Lee Hooker. So a lot of my love, like a lot of like even with Black Snake Moan and, and it really started with the Blues Brothers. And so when I look at what, what Landis did with Coming to America, it's hard to, to imagine a day today where they would allow, I think that moment where Paul Abdul's dancers come out, like, like is on for two full minutes, maybe even more of yeah. screen time. And you're just watching a celebration. You're watching an amazing dance number. You're not like, you're not having like, you know, kind of developing execs going, um, can we, um, uh, <laughs> no, you just get to enjoy it because, but that, that's what's made it like so much part of, of who we are. And like, that was pre Paul Abdul becoming like Paul Abdul, but man, her talent was just so identifiable in that whole sequence. So I told them, it's like, we have to make service to, to people who, who benefited from that in the first movie. Yeah. And uh, I think w I came up with this one way that we, present um, a, uh, a, a, a new character to our prince. Um, and, and, and I said, and, and, and we've got to use Oha. You know, <laughs> we, the, uh, Oha, Oha slayed with She's Your Queen in the first one. He needs a new moment. And I think, uh, I think we did right by him. <laughs> Absolutely, it's so good. There's so, it's one of those moments that's just so much, so joyful. There's so much joy in the movie and happiness in the movie. What kind of conversations did you all have about the perils of doing a sequel 30 years later? Because I think you turned everything around really successfully. Um, but 
you know, you, you know the pitfalls of potentially going back and it's just not the same. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think that what you have to do and what the benefit of a sequel is versus a remake, because I've, I've remade beloved classic movies like Footloose before. And the only way that I can see a way to like do it in your soul, uh, at least on a remake level, um, not a sequel, but a remake level is to say like, well, you know, Footloose is like um, Romeo and Juliet. And now, you know, Boz Lerman can do a Romeo and Juliet. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, this uh, Zeffirelli can do a Romeo and Juliet. You know, you, you could almost do like a, like a different Broadway production of Romeo and Juliet. And it's like, okay, well, what's my version of Footloose? You know, I'm, I live in the South and, and there's definitely this religious kind of, so you, you, you take the original and you reinterpret it by way of, of your personal experience. The benefit of a sequel, especially a sequel that has the characters from the original, yeah. um, is that you're not necessarily trying to redo or make better the original. You're saying, oh, y'all, we know Coming to America is a perfect movie. <laughs> like, why do you think we're here? <laughs> you know, we're here because we love those characters, you know, and we love those stories, and we would like to see them again. So it, it, it doesn't have the same kind of bite, I feel, if you come at it with that attitude. And I think that every day on the set, especially with the new characters and the new performers in the movie, like Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan and Jermaine Fowler and Kiki Lane, they were all like, oh, we're doing Coming to America. We, we can't mess this up. You know, it means so much to us and it means so much to, to all the fans and to the culture, you know? And, and uh, I was like, well, just remember y'all, we're here because of our love. Like you've been cast for your talent but you've primarily been cast because we've had conversations about how you feel about coming to America and, and why we need to return 30 years later, especially now in the, you know, with everything going the way it is. I mean, without naming anyone, obviously, did you decide not to cast anyone because they just weren't the biggest fans of the original or didn't know enough about the original? No, because that didn't exist. The, 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 <laughs> that exist. Everybody is a fan of coming to America. No, we, we knew that we couldn't bring every single buddy back for coming to America because we have uh, such a, a specific narrative in this movie. However, I, I am a big believer that there is an Eddie Murphy paramount universe yeah um, and we dip our hand a little bit into what they did in the first one by recognizing other movies that are in uh eddie murphy's uh oeuvre, oeuvre. um so uh i i i could totally see i mean every we got to find out if people you know enjoy themselves with, with coming to america but this is just a royal family i would love to to watch do all kinds of stuff. So maybe we can bring back more people, but we've got a lot of the original cast. I mean, I, I, almost everyone. And, uh, and I, it, it was just a joy every day to see them come to set. Ha, has there been talk of a third or a show or anything? No, no. I've, I've, I, however, I, would, I could totally see something like that. I really could. I mean, it's a, no, there's been no talk other than me just talking to them. I, I, I'd be on set. It's so funny. Me and a uh, even uh, on Dolomite, me and like Keegan Michael, you know, uh, we we uh, Key, we would we would always be like pitching what our our offshoot shows <laughs> of the Eddie Murphy universe would be. So um, it, it's 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 just it's a good pastime for me, but there hasn't been anything official, even though I could totally see it happening. <laughs> 
Um, you've made very small movies and now you've made what seems like a huge movie. I, I feel like Amazon took all the money they got this year and gave it to this movie for CGI and things. I know that Paramount actually made the movie, but it, it feels like you had a great budget. You've also had no budget. Um, how are they different and how does one fuel the other? Well, I, I hate to sound cliche, but it's definitely cliche for a reason because it's real, which is like whether I've made movies for $20,000 and, uh, and then I've made, uh, you know, big studio movies like, uh, like Dolomite is my name had a very big budget, you know, as a period film, but you know, coming to America is this, you know, uh, iconic, uh, uh, you know, legacy of Eddie Murphy. So Paramount, you know, definitely made, you know, made, made it at the, the right budget for the right size and everything. Yeah. You've got to just concentrate on the characters and story. Um, it, it, it's, it's just that simple and, um, and, and, and respect your audience enough to, you know, let them, let them have the patience to, to, to go through it and to understand it, but also to just be emotionally involved. Like, I, I think every day we would, we would come to set and, and I, I usually have music playing in the background and, and, and everybody comes in and they're not in makeup yet. And Eddie sometimes will have his guitar and he's just kind of like, and we come in and we really kind of just, we, we, before we start figuring out the specifics of a scene, we're, we're saying like, you know, what's the feeling of this? Like, what, what are we, what are we trying to tell here? And how are people going to connect to it in the dark, you know, when they're watching it? And, and so I, I think that, there are times when you're dealing with effects coming in and, and, and sets being built and, this, and something looks rather large. In the end, you're still going to be looking at an edit and going like, well, you know, after about five minutes, sometimes the effects and the spectacle wears off. And uh, are people going to be engaged going into the third act of this movie because they want to know how it's all going to turn out? So that's what you really need to concentrate on. And, and, and it's the, the part that actually uses the least amount of resources and money, which is script, story, and, and how to make it, you know, uh, you know emotionally um, relatable to people watching the movie. Uh, we don't have much time left, so I'll ask something you, you mentioned that just totally fired my imagination. What kind of music are you playing in the morning and what is Eddie Murphy playing on guitar? Oh, Eddie, well, first of all, if you're talking about what I'm playing like on my sets, everybody knows I'm from Memphis. So sometimes it's going to be Al Green. Sometimes it's going to be Staple Singers or Otis Redding. Um, I, sometimes I'll get some blues in there. I keep it pretty funky on the set with some soul. Um, Eddie comes in and Eddie's working on his original music. Um, and that's where I think we have a common love is... Uh, you know, people can look at party all the time. And it's so funny because recently party all the time yeah. has had this, 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 this new like TikTok revelation where kids are going like, did you all know Eddie Murphy made a song called party all the time? <laughs> it's like, yes, honey. That's uh, <laughs> that, that was, and we're like, and it's really good. <laughs> yes, honey. There's a whole life that your father lived, you know, before you were, you were born. And Eddie Murphy was part of it. And he's serious as a heart attack. He's not doing it as a spoof. He's doing it really good. Yeah. But Eddie will, Eddie will just be on set. And he and he's like, I go, who is that? He's like, this is me. This, this, I'm, I'm making He's just in his trailer, like, making new songs. And and he's just doing it for his soul, you know? He's not, he's not like, trying to get, like, some big 
album or something like that. He's a, he's a musician, he's an artist and, and what do they do? They create. And that, that kind of keeps him loose and in a rhythm. And I think that's, that's why we work together. We both are very uh, inspired by vibe and music and, and, and rhythm of a scene. Diamonds on your finger. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You caught me. Uh, I was singing along to something. Um, hey, that was Craig Brewer. He was wonderful. Such an honor and thrilled to get to talk with him. And I really enjoyed coming to America. Um, so much fun. If you haven't checked it out, you should check it out on Amazon Prime. If you like this uh, podcast, go back and listen to the first one we did with uh, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, the writers of Dolomite Is My Name, Craig Brewer's last movie. Uh, Visit us on moviemaker.com. You can subscribe to Movie Maker Magazine. And uh, I know I've said for the last two episodes that the next episode will be an Eric Stoyer episode. And every time it's me instead, we get emails, we get calls, people on Twitter are not very nice uh it's being honest but the next episode the next episode which will drop within 24 hours is i promise you an eric Stoyer episode he has a wonderful interview lined up uh you don't have to endure any more of me eric Stoyer coming back soon everybody have a great week see coming to america um take care of yourselves thank you for listening and if your girl wants to party all the time um i should probably just break up i mean there's there's a pandemic you just you have to be responsible okay i'm sorry i don't want to preach uh talk to you soon um thank you bye